and I've said it last week, when people ask me the question, what's the vision for the church, it always stumps me because all we're trying to do is lead into God's good future and posture our hearts into what he's doing. And he's always doing something new. The kingdom is always advancing and it's always future. The kingdom is always future. So therefore, half the time, I, I don't have a great scheme plan for five years or ten years, but we do want to see people encounter Jesus like Cheryl talked about in her everyday ordinary lives. We're all about that. And each time as we journey with God, he just interacts with us through people and he starts to shape the vision of this place and he starts to shape the story of this place. So I think that we... Thank you very much. I think we're constantly in vision. We're constantly on vision. We're constantly on his vision. And I'm not trying to plan anything. I'm trying to decipher what he's doing and then go with that. But one of the things that I, I want to talk about this morning in this series called Moving Forward Together. Uh, last couple of weeks, did everybody enjoy the last couple of weeks? You heard everybody say no, it was terrible. But it was kind of fun, wasn't it? Just hearing the stories of what's happening, the movement is what, what's happening in this place called Vineyard Church Dungannon, how it reaches to France and India and actually Ochnachloe and uh, Oma and um, even Balmakele. We're even reaching into Balmakele. Who would have ever thought that we had reached into Balmakele? And God has done some amazing things because we've discovered that the church are not settlers, we're pioneers. We don't have a settled mentality. We're not here stuck on earth trying to find ourselves. We're actually here finding God, and in finding God, He is making us come alive in Him. And it's a great, great story that we're part of. And so the part of that story this morning, I've just been really, uh, over this last couple of weeks, I thought, what is one of the key ingredients I'd love to talk about in this moving forward together? And I want to talk this morning about favor. Favor. In order to grow, in order to move forward, we need favour. We need God's good favour in our life. So what exactly is favour? What does favour look like? And so we might say that it's, uh, you know, it's somebody who has acceptance, who gets treated uh, with uh, preferential treatment. Has anybody ever, ever been upgraded on a flight? Free of charge. How do you do it? I mean, people tell me, you never go to an airport dressed casual, you wear a smart shirt. Did you wear a smart shirt? You wear, well, I'm going to try that next time. And uh, one time we were coming back from uh, Cincinnati in our sabbatical, and we thought the favour of the Lord was just all over us during sabbatical. It was a really good time. Our bank, in, our bank account actually increased because somebody owed us money and they came into our account while we were on sabbatical. It was unreal. And then we're in the airport, and the lady at the airport says this in Cincinnati. She says, look, your, your seats have been moved. But I just wanted to tell you one thing. When you go into the place where you're going, act normal and don't make a lot of noise. And she says, when you go into the plane, just turn left. And I thought, I've always wanted to turn left when I go into the plane. And I just have this constant turn left, turn left. Because left takes you straight into first class. So I said to the voice, voice, be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't be shouting. Don't be screaming. Don't be getting excited. Just act calm as if we always do this. <laughs> so we walked onto the plane and he says, Hi, Mr. Scott, your seats have been changed. And I says, Yes, I know. <laughs> and she says, Just take a left. And we took a left and there we were, just one row behind first class. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the grace in the scriptures is a slightly different grace. It actually. It, it has all these definitions of being uh, having acceptance and approval and pleasure. But the, the word actually transcends a little more than that. It's a word called charis. You'll find it in the Greek and the Hebrew. All throughout scripture, it includes this definition of favor. And that definition is charis. Where we get the word charismatic from, where we get the word gifts from. It's almost everywhere in the New Testament, it's translated grace. 
grace. And that's all this favour is. And every one of us who has accepted Jesus, maybe you're on a journey, maybe you're still investigating Christ here today, we're going to give you an opportunity to find him and to accept him after I finish speaking this morning. But right in the middle of this, those who have found him have found favour because we found grace. See, his grace is his favour. And we can grow in grace, therefore we can grow in his favour. Do you believe that? That grace is not just a one-stop shop. That his grace enters our life every day. That his grace continues to fill us. That his grace continues to lead us on in him. That his grace continues to open space for us. So that we can have encounters with God and with man. And that we find favour here, near and far. His favour is his grace. And so therefore it's not a one-stop gap. It's not just for so many people. It's not just for preferential people. Or people who have just seemed to have got some preferential treatment shown to them at some time. But it's absolutely for every one of us can receive the favour of God. The unmerited favour of God includes us not only be, be, to be forgiven of our sins, but actually receiving access to the presence of God. That's a grace thing. And so what we do this morning when we worship, we're in a grace moment. We're in the moment of his favour when God wants to show up. He doesn't have to show up in the room. I don't know where your heart was this morning, but were you actually desperate for him in the room? I was so desperate for God in the room this morning. And, and we want to come not worship to worship, but we actually want to come worshiping on a Sunday morning. It's a different posture. That when we enter into these walls, that we go beyond the step of convenience, regardless of our personality. Myself, I would I'd describe myself as a sort of more uh, introverted, believe it or not. But I just love to go beyond that step of convenience and open up my heart to Christ because His favour and His grace comes all the time. Every time we stop and pause and give ourselves to Him, His favour comes. So we can grow in favour because His grace is constant. We can learn to access His favour because we can access grace. His grace is abounding. It's always available to us. So turn with me to the book of Acts, would you please? The book of Acts is an exciting book. And can I encourage you this morning, as we open the ancient scriptures, whatever way you open them, whether you open them on the phone or paper, or if you're just maybe reading from the screen behind me this morning, if you're reading from the scriptures, don't read for study. Don't read even to give something to something, somebody else. But would you read the scriptures and say, especially in the book of Acts, every time I read the book of Acts, I want to say these words, me too. That makes sense? When you read the scriptures, when you see the, the experience that people had, when you see the encounters that they had, when you see the journey that they had, when you see the things that they actually engage with and partner with God and, and seeing cities turned upside down in Ephesus when there was a riot even happened, where you see the sick healed and the dead raised, where you see the church in full motion and an unstoppable force, would you say me too and not just read it? Sign up to what you read in the scriptures. Sign up to what you read. It says they devoted themselves. It means they were intentional. They took it upon themselves. There was no sales pitch given to them. There was no uh, strategy. There was no advertisement. They devoted themselves. They took it upon themselves to devote themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Why? Because many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. <laughs> All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods to give to anyone as he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's kind of cool thing, isn't it? Can you imagine what's happened there? Let me try and bring it uh, down to earth and bring it into our 21st century, into our reality, into our everyday ordinary, how our lives would look. The Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Let me say it this way. God intervened in the lives of those who needed him. God intervened in the lives of those who needed him. Does anybody here need a touch from God this morning? God's favour is here and he can come and touch. The Lord touched and intervened. Every day God met people who struggled in their marriages. That's what it means. That's the reality of God meeting people, of God adding to their number daily, of bringing people into life. It means that people who struggle in their marriages, every day God changed that situation. He changed the lives of people who were depressed and suicidal. Every day, people who hated their jobs, who were looking for direction, found hope. Every day, people's lives were changed. Does that not do something inside your heart? How do you read the scriptures? How do you read the ancient scriptures? Change is possible. Encounter is possible. Favor is possible because favor is grace and God is good. Everything changes every day. What does that say about God? Every day means that lost people matter to the Father. Every day. It's a constant. It's a constant. He is consistently pursuing those outside of a relationship with Him. If you are outside a relationship with God this morning, like Cheryl did this morning, I want to engage you and I want to offer you the best gift that we can ever offer you as a person in the presence of Jesus Christ. He is constantly pursuing everybody you lay eyes on as a somebody for whom the Savior died. Everybody you lock eyes with is somebody for whom the Savior died. Every person you go eyeball to eyeball is someone that Jesus gave their life for. Look around the room. Look at the person beside you. Start to look around the room. You are surrounded by people of immeasurable value and honor. Aren't we? And we are his best idea. The creation is a beautiful thing, but that's not his best idea. You and I are his best idea. That not just tilt your head a little. This God who placed the stars in the sky, in the galaxies, the God who created night and day and galaxies and planets, the God who separated water and land and sea and land and made animals and fruit and coffee and chocolate and craft beer and flowers and smells and fragrances. This God of the universe, those were great ideas, but his best idea was you and I. And it's a wonderful thing. We're surrounded with people who are of a measurable value. If you and I have never gone eyeball to eyeball with anybody, we haven't, sorry, let me say this, we've never gone eyeball to eyeball with anybody who didn't matter to God. Even the people that you hate this morning. Even the people that rub you up the wrong way. Even the people that cut you off on the road. Even the people that have disappointed you. God has measurable love for them. It's hard. But he's God. And he's good. And so, everybody you meet in Tesco's matters. Everybody in Sainsbury's, just in case you think we're promoting Sainsbury's and Tesco's and Minari's. Every estate agent that you buy a house from, the Warwick's. Uh, every painter, every baker, I'm just trying to get you all in this morning, National Blair and the Mall. Everybody that you meet and go eyeball to eyeball, they are of immeasurable value to God. And when you stand outside the school gate, people matter. When you're in the... When you're standing at a bar, people matter. When you're in a line to, to uh, get your groceries, people matter. Everybody matters because they are of a measurable, valuable. And Donald McGovern, he said this. I love this text, this text that he wrote. It's in a book. He wrote this. 
And this is something that's really spurred me on. I've, I've actually been reading this small text for about 10 years now. It says, the world is more vulnerable people than ever before, but it is possible to come out of a right field empty-handed. It is possible to come out of a right field empty-handed. Now, I'm not a farmer, nor am I a farmer's son. I have been on a farm once. <laughs> but I don't know if that's true or not, so could somebody please wave to me. Is it possible to come out of a harvest right field empty-handed? Is it? It is. And, and when we move together as a church here in your church in Ghana, that cares for the lost, whose heart beat for lost people to be found and find people to be grown, I don't want us to come out of our community empty-handed, do you? Can I ask you this morning, do you want to come out of a harvest type? All around our country today, people are celebrating harvest, right? But the harvest that I'm interested in, I, I, mean, I, I love all the harvest stuff, you know, the growing stuff. Wheat. I was going to say bread, but nobody grows bread. They cook it, don't they? I mean, I'm all for that type of thing, but, but honestly, the type of harvest that I'm giving my life to is those that have eyes and senses and have hearts where eternity is written on them, that Ecclesiastes tells me. But do you know that everyone is sitting on a chair today? Every one of us in this room today, whether we know Jesus or not, eternity is written on our hearts. It means we have this, this God void if we don't know him. It means we have this aching and this yearning for eternity. Guys, we were not meant to live with death. Death is not a part of life. Death is entered into the world by sin. Therefore, death is not our natural habitat. Sin entered the world. Sin entered the world through death. And our hearts are not made for it. Our hearts are made for eternity because eternity is written in our hearts. We were born to live forever, to run free in God's open space, in His goodness, in His kindness. Hope this is making sense to you this morning. I'm still talking about favor, by the way. So it's critical for the future of the vineyard and for the Church of Ireland and for the Catholic Church and the Methodist Church and the Baptist and the Free Independence and all those churches, all those tribes that gather together under the sound and the noise and the presence and the fragrance of Jesus. It's, it's important for all of us that we find a favour in our community. It's important for all of us in this town, in your town, in my town, that people become our, our vision, not programmes. Because people, not programmes, and not our positions, are the future and our future. Because we are eternal beings. Don't you understand that? It's not the programs we do. See, all those wonderful things that we talked about this last two weeks, exciting and absolutely brilliant. I love, 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 love the stories of what's happening in our community. I love the stories of what's happening this week. I can't wait to hear what happens next week. But all, all in this place and surrounding areas of this place, God is at least and doing wonderful things. But he's not doing programs. He's actually engaging with people. And we never want to be caught up in a program here at the Vineyard. We always want to be about people because lost people matter to Christ. And he is others constantly on our mind. Now most of our churches haven't yet arrived. Most of our church haven't yet arrived. I don't mean they've stepped in today. It's 11 o'clock or anything got there. But see, it's critical. It's critical that people not programs our future. And I say this, and you've heard me say this many, many, many times. It's most of our church haven't yet arrived. Most of our church haven't even crossed the line of faith yet. This church includes people who, who don't even know that we exist. Do you know that? 
There are people who will be connected to this place who will be life givers to you and to me and to the generations and who will leave a legacy, who will lay down their life and go to other nations and other towns and other countries and other communities. There are people who will have strategies to solutions from the wisdom of heaven and the wisdom of God who are seated in heavenly places who have the perspective of heaven. There are people who will be a gift to this body, but not only this body, but to the nation and the nations who haven't yet heard, even heard of in your church from Gavin. Never mind Jason Scott's comes is. There are people who haven't yet heard of us. Some of our finest people in your church don't gather aren't here yet. I think, I think you're great. I really do. And this church doesn't happen without you. The last two weeks was, was proof and evidence of that. I cannot do church without you guys. Impossible. We need people. We're a community. We're a body. We're a family. We're a house. We're a home. We're a space and a place gathered around the presence and person of Jesus. We're gathered in seats to connect with him, right? Can't do life without you. So you're great. Turn to the person beside you and say, You're great. Two words, you're great. Isn't it a very Northern Ireland thing to do that, isn't it? And don't we love it? Actually, no, you're great. No, you're great. No, you're great. I'm not really great. You're great. But listen, 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 listen. I think you're great, but we have a lot of, and I say this with all sincerity, you are great. You are great. You're a great people, you're a great church today. Man, I listen to other pastors, they're moaning and groaning. They get it tight. They're complaining about, about the ministry. I said, them, you want to come to Vineyard Church, don't get it. It's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> and the people are absolutely wonderful. See, when we get new people here, you know what I always think? When, when new people come through the door, I always think, we haven't dreamed about those people before. <clears throat> yeah, can I just pick? Are we? What do we honour each other? We're okay with each other. We're not. We're not jealous, are we? Don't we, don't we love to applaud each other and, and honour each other? Don't we love to see the best in each other? Don't we want to see each other strive and, and get even further than, than 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 we are? Yeah, that's called Christian, Christ-like, Christ in us, anointed. Can, right, actually, I'm going to pick on a family, a couple of families. Is that okay? Would you be cool about that? And would you not leave offended because I didn't mention it? But do you remember before the comments came? No. It was all good, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but but well, just to pick on them, when they came and then the, the, just what, what they brought, you know, they brought family and then they got married and their family grew and grew and grew. They're a bit like the Mormons. They, <laughs> they marry and have babies and their kids don't drink coffee or tea. So... So anyway, when they, and then they, you think, how do, we have, how do we do compassion with, you know, without them, not to use them, but that, that they're in our space and in our place and in our tribe and in our family. How, did, how do we ever do that without them? And then we had, you know, the players. What about players? You know, they just made the place look beautiful. <laughs> I mean, we were a lovely mob before the players came, and then the players came, and it just changed and transformed the place. Yeah, it's aesthetic, but aesthetic's good, yeah, because people like you looking people. Yeah, the words are enough, let's bring some beauty into the place. And then the players came across, but now, not just beautiful on the outside, they're beautiful on the inside. They have a heart of compassion. Do you know when their people are sicker, and when we have tragedies in this church, and people don't know this, but I'm going to tell, I'm going to blow the cover today. Do you know, Alison Blair will go to the most expensive butchers in this community, buy the most expensive product and buy them enough food that would feed them for a month. And you never hear about it. Isn't that what it <laughs> And then we have paid fiction your marriages, those who are just you guys that are just fighting with your wives and your wives are fighting with you and 
we had all that stuff going on, and we thought, how do we ever do without Pete fixing our marriages? And Michelle and I think, say, thank God for Peter. We're now sleeping in the same room at night. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing, especially in the winter. <laughs> but all that to say this, some of our best leaders are not yet Christians. They're lying in bed today. They've had a big night last night. I was, at, I was at a Christian stag do last night. I was home for 10 past 10. <laughs> Some of our most exciting and vibrant ministries haven't yet begun. You know, because ministries don't happen with, with programs and processes. They begin with people. We're not interested in doing something for the sake of doing it and trying to, to figure out something that's not been done in Dungannon so it's attraction. No, no, we're actually trying to serve a purpose and trying to serve them and trying to love on people. That's all we're trying to do. And so ministries always come with movement of people, right? People come, they have a heart for something. What you do personally drives us corporately. Whatever's, what's going in the corner of your heart this morning? What's going in the corner of your mind? Because what grows in the corner of your heart, what grows in the corner of your mind, will one day grow in the corner of our streets, in our communities, in our schools, in our universities, in our hospitals, and so on, so on, so on, so on. What's growing in your heart? What's growing? So I want to take you to this classic piece of scripture this morning where favour is released and how we find favour in the community, how we move on with God together, we move on to God with God together as a community of faith. We are a movement, we are not static. So let me read you Joshua 2. I've been practicing first verse 1 of chapter 2 all week. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent out spies from Shittim. That's the word. God looked over the land and he said, especially Jericho, so that they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and who entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and she hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me. But I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they all went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and she had hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. And that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and how you came out of Egypt <coughs> and what you did in Sion and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above, and, or, sorry, in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. Our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. 
And she said to them, go to the hills so that, you can, so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go your way. This is a fantastic story. It's a remarkable story of where favour is found. And favour, in this case, Joshua's key to unlock the city. And as he crosses over through, through God giving him favour, is through Rahab, a prostitute, who lived on the edge of society. He lives on the edge of society. The city was taken from the grassroots up, grassroots up, not from the top down. God gave favour to Joshua through Rahab. She was able to tell the spies what she knew, what the authorities were saying. I mean, I wouldn't like to think how she found that stuff out. But she did. One thing we can take from this is that Joshua now had hope and he had found favour in a city. He had allies who feared God. This was a key shift. This was a strategic moment for Israel, for the people of God on the move. This was a key, key moment. And so I would say that the strategy, if we're going to use that word strategy, for taking the city, starts not with the players, but the poor. Do you hear me? The strategy for any city to be taken, you see, in the, in the, in the world of Christendom, it's all upside down. We don't work from top down, we work from bottom up. God is not interested sometimes. We think that, though we get kind of weird, we get kind of, we get kind of, at least I used to get kind of weird. I used to say, you know, if God would just save Bono. And apparently Bono was a Christian, right? So I'm not, <coughs> I'm not judging him. But, you know, if God could just save <coughs> Stephen Jared, you know, the whole Liverpool team would come to Christ and Liverpool's the greatest team in the world and the whole world would come to Jesus and it would all be done in one split moment. And if God would just save Donald Trump. <laughs> just test and see if you're awake. But that's not how he works. You see, he doesn't need the players. He needs people. He, he often works with those who, who are without um, skill even. He, 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 says, he says this, were, were there not many wise? There weren't many wise among you. Not many noble. But I did this. He does this to, to do it his way so that he, he confuses the wise and, and the strong and he uses the weak things and he uses the foolish things of this world. And it's his choice why he does it. I do not know, but he chooses the poor and he chooses the marginalized to, to make things happen. And access to the city was not given through the king, not given through the government, not given through the officials, but it came through a prostitute who was living in the age of society, physically, emotionally, and socially. Physically, emotionally, and socially. Mother Teresa is one of my heroes in the faith. She said, we must see Christ in the disturbing disguises of the poor. John Wimber said it this way, we need the poor more than the poor need us. And sometimes the church has missed that. We think there are acts of kindness, but no, the church actually needs the poor. We need them to come into our lives. We need them to sit in our chairs. We need to learn from them. We need to receive from them because they are God's pride and joy. If you look through the scriptures, you'll see that God is a bias towards the poor, towards the marginalized, towards those who are in the age of society. God is biased towards the poor. You mess with the poor, you mess with God, Proverbs tells us. You mess with the poor, you mess with, you mess with God. It's not a program. It's not a project to grow a church. Hear me, hear me. Hear me. Compassion is not a drive to go to church. I meet church leaders all the time and say, tell us about your compassion project. What they're really asking me is, how do we grow the church? And I constantly tell them, if you're thinking of growing a church, this is not the way to do it. 
Because these are God's precious people. This is the apple of his life. These people are not projects. They're his people. They're his, his, his apple. They're his, his people that he is biased towards. They're not there for us to grow the church. They're there for us to minister and to show the heart of God to those people. That's why we engage with the poor. And it is not an option also to engage with the poor. Actually, it's a command. It's a command. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, then look through the eyes of the poor. Look through the eyes of the poor. You must see the kingdom of heaven. You ever watch the election campaigns? Isn't the American campaign the most hilarious thing on the face of the planet? Is it? It's hilarious, but it's also scary. I mean, it was all fun at the start, but now we're getting near the, the end of it, and we're thinking, dear Lord, please no. Please no. Somebody hand that guy a rubber button if he ever gets in. Right? We're all Trump supporters, if I stand on some toes. No? I mean, they promise you the sun and the stars, don't they? Even here, they knock on your door and they promise you everything. And, and what do they do? They, 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 they go to the grassroots. And, and I wonder, why do people go to grassroots? Because politicians know that elections are won and favour is gained, not by the top down, but by the bottom up. Why? I think, why, why not from the top down? I think the reason is that people at the bottom of the community have their ear to the ground and they can tell you the signs of what's happening in their community. They can tell you the stories. They're the people, they're the custodians of the stories. They give the signals of what issues needed to be addressed in our communities. They give a sign and alert. And so if the local church is in the business of seeing life change, which it is, which it is, which it is. If the local church is in the business of seeing lives change and our community transformed, broken marriages, children living in poverty, people being wasted and washed up by addiction, if, if, if we're looking for those signs, what's our sign and where's our favour? Then we find it by those in the age of society. We want to move forward together. We want to advance where God has already gone before us. And when he calls us to come, that's the place where we want to be. We want him to go before us and come to say, come, come here, come to this place. So therefore, we need to be looking for the signs of favour in Dungannon and beyond. Does that make sense to you? Grace. We're looking for grace. Where's this grace being poured out? Just making sense. I encourage you, wrap your heart around this this morning. Allow it to hook your heart. Don't stand distant from it. So I'm learning all the time that my job is simply to discern where the kingdom of God is and what our community is saying and talking about. And when we do that, when we do that, we're finding out what the dreams are for our community, what the dreams are for this town, what the dream is for your town, what the dream is in India, what the dream is in, in France, what the dream is in Nocknacloy, what the dream is in Oma, regardless of where you are, where you are, we are. Where you are, we are. You are the church of Jesus Christ. And so our dream is to make him known for Jesus to be the most famous one. And this dream actually becomes a reality. He becomes famous. He becomes the centre one when we start to focus and minister to the poor, the marginalised, and those who are on the fringe of life. Those who are on the fringe of life. The keys to the kingdom are often found in the age of the city. At the age of the city. Listen to this text. Are you okay for energy? Then we've kept the heat off for you so that you can stay away. <laughs> Psalm 102, 17 to 26 says this, He will listen to the prayers of the destitute. He will not reject their pleas. Let this be recorded for future generations so that a nation yet to be created will praise the Lord. I love that. It fills me with hope. People always are, people live in great fear in our community and our culture in these days. They always say, I fear for the next generation. How many of you say, how many of you heard conversations, I fear for my children? I don't. 
I'm not a lunatic. I'm not disengaged with society or life or anything. I, I don't disengage. I do watch news. But I'm not fearful for my children. I'm not fearful for my children. Not at all. Not one bunch of fear that I have for my children. I think they live in the most incredible times. I mean, when I was growing up, I wasn't seeing five people come to faith on a Tuesday afternoon with you. That's a wonderful time. In, in Pulse, our youth group that meets on a Thursday night, I was reading on Facebook this week, there was back heat, there was healings of pain going, there was all sorts of healings happening on a Thursday night. And the room was full of teenagers releasing the power and presence of God and seeing healing happen. And in the living room in Dungannon, that's kind of cool. That's, it's not, you don't have to be afraid of that. It's a good thing you'd be hopeful in that. See, the generations to come, there's a generations to come that will pray, that are created, actually created to praise God. Ah, oh, come on. Allow it to sink in. What does that mean? There's a generation you have to be born. You know, like, who's the youngest person in the place today? Probably Jake. No, no. <laughs> baby, baby. Jacob. Joshua. Joshua. <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> Joshua, how old is he? Five weeks. He's just created in this generation to praise God and worship God. He's created. He's created to praise the Lord. And there's babies yet to be born. They're all created. There's a generation rising up, and they're created for one thing, and that is to praise, praise the Lord. Tell them. Tell them, the Lord looked down from the heavenly sanctuary. He looked to the air from heaven to hear the groans of the prisoners to release those condemned to die. And so the Lord's fame will be celebrated in Zion. Zion is the church today. His praises in Jerusalem and multitudes gather together and kingdoms come to worship the Lord. Seriously, it doesn't do anything for you. It's wonderful, isn't it? Is that hopeful? You bet it is. See, if we love the poor, Jesus' fame will go beyond this time. And not just this time, but beyond this generation. Beyond our lifetime, beyond our lifespan. We leave a legacy when we reach the marginalized. People are our legacy, not programs. People are our legacy. If we want to leave a legacy, then we go to the fringes. We go to the age of the city. We go to the age of the community. We go to those who are at the grassroots. We go to those who are at the bottom rung of the ladder. Those who feel destitute. Those who feel marginalized. Those who feel depressed. Those who feel suicidal. Those who feel hopeless today. Those are the people that God has called us to reach out. And when we reach for those people with him, connecting his hand to their hand, when we do that and they partner with God, all of a sudden this unstoppable movement called the Church of Jesus Christ begins to flourish and grow in a generation that's created to worship and praise God. Generation after generation after generation after generation. It's a beautiful legacy that we get to take. It's a beautiful legacy that we have to create. And when the local church takes the responsibility of going to the poor, our fame becomes his fame. And a watching world knows there is a God to be reckoned with. There are doubters out there. There are only doubters out there because the church is not doing what the church is called to do. When the church is called to do what it should be doing, then doubt flees and doubt goes away. And people start to say, hey, you know what? I drive by that church as wacky as it looks, as wacky as they seem. But you know what? There's, there's stuff happening there. I met, I met somebody this week he's, and uh, it was a Catholic priest and he's going to give us a space to do Outward Focus Christmas this year, hopefully in the convent, free of charge, use it anytime we want later day. Isn't that kind? I thought that was very kind. But anyway, he says, I've heard of you. I says, I've not met you. He says, no, but I've heard of you. I've heard of your church. I hear what you do in the community. I hear what you do among the poor. Now, if the Catholic church are talking about what the vineyard's doing among the poor, well then, I'll take that as a recommendation of honour 
and encouragement, would you not? Because there's nobody, there's nobody, let me say this, there's nobody like the Catholic Church that has ministered to the poor throughout history and throughout the world. You go to India, you see schools set up, you see orphanages set up, you see hospitals set up, and they were all set up by the Catholic Church. Let's get over ourselves. Let's get over ourselves and honor what needs honored. Back in your box, Jason. You don't want to upset these lovely people. Unlocking the future will also unlock your future. When we unlock the future of others, we actually unlock our own future. Because our destiny, our future is not tied up with programs again. It's not tied up with our fame and our striving, but it's always connected with people. It's all about relationship and people. Restoring broken lives, it requires some things. It requires conviction. It requires commitment and it requires community. Because unfortunately, even when the church wants to help, often it assumes it doesn't have the power to heal. We assume sometimes that we don't have the power to heal. We profess that Jesus changes lives, but with broken people, we tend to rely on psychotherapy. We say that Jesus can change your life, but what do we actually mean by that? We say, well, we'll trust Jesus with the small stuff, but the bigger stuff, hey, we'll give that to fraud or Freud. Right? Why, 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 why? Listen, 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 listen. It says this in Ephesians 2, 6, 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the common ages, is not on the screen, in order that the common ages might show the incomparable, the incomparable riches of his favour, of his grace. What does that mean? It means that God has raised us up with Christ. Have you ever been up in a hill or up in a mountain? That's not a trick question. Anybody, just wave at me, you've been up a hill or up a mountain. Why? Why do you do that? Because it's there. Because it's there, but, but do, you get, do you not find that... Well, yeah, this is where I'm bluffing again. <laughs> but do you not find that you have a different perspective and life looks totally different from where you're, from where you're at in that moment, in place? Have you ever been in a plane? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't rain, does it? Above the clouds. Strange that. <laughs> Different perspective. Different perspective. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have a new world view. You should see things a little different. You're seated in heavenly places. It's not a seat of comfort just, but it is comfortable to sit with Jesus. But sometimes it's not so comfortable to sit with Jesus. Have you ever had uncomfortable moments with Jesus? Have you ever had a couple of moments with Jesus? Yeah. Sometimes he makes me very nervous. Sometimes he puts me into situations and I have to say, really? <laughs> On a Friday? My day off? Really? And he punches in uncomfortable because he has a different perspective. He has a, he's a new way of seeing things. And your dream, your desire is designed to influence and bring life around you and to change your culture and to change your community. So you're raised up in heavenly, a heavenly reality. There's a different reality, so therefore we do have resources. I'm not playing down the consultants, I'm not playing down the psychiatrists, I'm not playing down the physical therapists or the psychotherapists and any other therapists that I can think of that begins with an F. <laughs> but God has given the church gifts. And we either believe that he has solutions to problems or else I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm going to give myself to something else. So set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. Is that what the scripture tells us? 
Because it's from there we get the wisdom of heaven. It's there we get God's answers to unlock the future. Shall we stand? interesting that as Joshua unlocks the future for Rahab he unlocks his own future at the same time and vice versa the amazing fact of Rahab's story is that she unlocked Joshua's future she did a beautiful thing for him she created something a movement simultaneously she unlocks her own future yeah, that, that future of hers that looks so shameful and people talking about her, gossiping about her. I mean, everybody knew this lady. <clears throat> She's a prostitute on the edge of the city. <clears throat> I just want you to just, just pause just for a moment. Just close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. Just to post your heart in the future and and just ask the Father, all of us, ask the Father, where, where have you given us keys? Where have you given us keys? We want to unlock addiction. We want to unlock poverty. We want to unlock hopelessness. We want to unlock self-harming. We want to unlock young men and women with suicidal thoughts. We want to unlock those who have given up dreaming. We want to unlock those who are in prostitution today. We want to create hope in a future. God, we want to find your favor and your grace among those who are on the age of society and the age of the city. So come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to our hearts and speak to our minds today, Jesus. Come and lock. Come and show us the keys. And just, just ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it that you'd have me do? Where is it you'd have me connect? Who is it you'd have me connect with? 